Ironically now, since you're in the situation that you are, but but I started the winners with a storm. Right. Um, yeah. Because because I made it. This is a town and a community where so many people are enemies. Yeah. But they have to come together because there's a greater enemy coming. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of Friends in Fiction Writer's Block. On this episode, we're chatting with New York Times bestselling author Frederick Bachman, whose latest, The Winners, is just out. It's the conclusion to his immensely popular Beartown series, so we'll be talking with him today about the book, the series, and how his life has changed since he catapulted to international fame. I'm Ron Block. And I'm Kristen Harmel. Frederick's 2020 novel, Anxious People, was a number one New York Times bestseller and also was one of my favorite books of the last few years. So we will be chatting about that, too, as well as discussing the film adaptation of his hit book, A Man called Uva, which has been adapted as a man called Otto coming this December, starring Tom Hanks. Awesome. Frederick Bachman is the number one New York Times bestselling author of A Man Called Uva. My grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry. Britt Marie was here. Beartown, Us Against You, and Anxious People, as well as two novellas and one work of nonfiction. His books are published in more than 40 countries. He lives in Stockholm, Sweden, and with his wife and two children. Welcome, Frederick. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. And, and I just want to, a side note, we're recording with Kristen right now, who's right in the eye of the <laughs> Hurricane Ian. So <laughs> This is how much I loved anxious people. I was like, That's I'm right. braving a hurricane to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, so we may get some sound effects in the background that mirror the exactly. storm in the book. Uh, you know, I do what I can, right? It, it's, it, it's just to make it all thematic with the winners. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, Frederick, before we we'll dive into... You what? We'll talk quickly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, Frederick, before we dive into chatting with you, we'd love to hear a bit about the winners beyond the elevator pitch. What's the book really about? Uh, This is precisely the kind of question that my publicist don't want to ask me (laughs) because she says this is going to, well, he's going to talk for three hours now. It's, um, um, no, the book, uh, I mean, I wrote Beartown and Us Against You. The, the core of the story is uh, it's about a community and their sports team. It's about a small town and how it's wrapped out and uh, wrapped up in the sports team and how the sports team is not just, it's to the community, it's not just a team, it's not just a pastime, it's also the identity of the town. It's how they how they are put on the map, how they are known throughout the country it's because they have this sports team they're a small town and a forest and this is how they identify themselves and um and it's also the fact that a successful sports team 
can catapult catapult the, the 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 town into you know you get sponsorship deals you get um you get jobs uh you get a place on the map you get recognition and and they have these high hopes of how this town will grow and they'll get a they'll get an airfield they get a a hotel they'll get a they have all these like a conference center and they 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 they'll increase tourism and they'll they have all these great hopes for the the town and the community and the 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 region and uh and it's all starting with a successful sports team and how that affects their 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 view on life and their view on each other and um and on top of that and it's a story about this this team the the these young kids these young men these teenagers who are who learn at an early age that their their value as human beings is very connected to their performance uh, if they're uh, if they're successful at hockey if they're winners if they if they if they're important to the team their value as human beings is higher in the community and if they are truly great at hockey then they get away with things that other people wouldn't they uh, they live above the law they have different rules and um and they learn this at a very early age and uh and then in bear town the setting for the whole series is one of these boys commit a he commits a horrible crime and then his word stands against the girl's word and the community has to deal with the fact that if he if if she is lying then nothing will happen if she's lying everything goes on like normal yes. but if he is lying then everything changes then we have to look ourselves in the mirror and we have to everything changes the 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 team will lose the club will crumble uh, the whole community might fall apart um financially uh the economic disasters will be incredible and uh and also the 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 moral obligation will be overwhelming when you have to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself was i a part of this did i create this culture was i complicit in this uh was i one of the people who taught him that this was okay that this was acceptable mm-hmm. that this was something we would let him get away with and um so that was the premise for bear town and a lot of the premise for us against you and that i was looking for well it took me four years of looking for what would be the conclusion what would be the story for the last part of it and what would the theme be and what am i trying to say here and it took took a while and then as i started writing it came out to 700 pages and my editor was like well uh, <laughs> apparently you had some things to say for me <laughs> um, so um, so so there we are so the, the and i think the the thing i tried to do with the winners the theme of that book is uh, that in the first book the um, in the first book the there's two fractions fighting about the hockey club and about the community right. and uh, and the good guys win uh in bear town and us against you the good guys they prevail and uh 
And then in the winners in the last part, I'm trying to write that story, but from the perspective of the neighboring town, the rivals, the, mm -hmm. uh, the team they beat and the town they beat. And, and I'm trying to pose the question now that the good guys have won, are they good rulers? Uh, and are they um, are they are they gracious uh, as winners, yeah. or will they become the same? Will they become the same as the people they were fighting to begin with? Um, and um, so that was the the. And when I realized that, that was when things started to click. That I will describe Bear Town, but not from. Bear Town. I'll describe it from Head, the neighboring town, and I'll describe a family who's the mirror family of the Andersons, the 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 family that I was centering the story about in book one and two. I'll I'll write a mirroring family in Head, and I'll describe this from their perspective, and I'll have this. Well, they view Bear Town as smug. And condescending, yes, and elite, and they view them as as the oppressors, and um, so I'll view, I'll, I'll I'll tell the whole story again, but I'll tell it from their point of view, and uh, and then something started to click, and something started to when I, when I changed that perspective. You know, that's so interesting because, Frederick, I feel like that's something you do so well as a writer. You write mm -hmm. from so many different perspectives in each book, and everything looks different depending on the way you're looking at it. So that's so interesting that that's how you came to the, the perspective from which to tell this book. Um, you mentioned community and the town, Bear Town, and, and the neighboring town of Head. Is that how you say it? Just Head? head? Yeah. Um, okay, it's perfect. Okay. You can say it. it's, okay. Okay. You can, you just, it's made up. You can okay. say it <laughs> That's well, why that I works. That, that makes it easy. Well, you know, there's a line in the first book of the series, Bear Town, that really struck me. And I think it's a thread that runs through the winners, too. And that line is, what is community? It is the sum total of our choices, which I love. I would just what a great line. So can you talk a bit about that, about what community means to you and about how that idea that community is a sum of our choices, um, what that idea means in the context of the winners? Well, it's... Um... There's a, there's a way that I usually explain it concerning um, my first novel, A Man Called Uwe, uh, and, and that the man Uwe, the, the, the character Uwe, and I say, well, he's, and we call it a collective in Sweden, like um, um, a collective of people, you can say it in English. And uh, so he's a collectivist, like he, he believes in community, he believes in people working together, he believes in, he just hates people. <laughs> uh, and, and so that's why he's so strict on rules, because if you have rules, then people don't have to talk to each other yeah. because everyone knows what goes and not. If you have rules and everyone follows the rules, everyone can leave everyone alone. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a recurring theme in Beartown that, that, the worst thing about the worst thing about people is that we're depending on each other yeah. and uh, and it's unbearable because so many of the people are morons <laughs> and uh, you have to go through every day and, and know that there are so many morons and i depend on you yes like <laughs> i have to get 
I have to cooperate with you because we live on the same planet. So I have to, I have to some way somewhat coexist with you and, and, and accept the fact that you do moronic things all day long that, that, that affects me. And, um, uh, and that, I was looking for that in Bear Town, but I was looking for a microcosmos of it. I was looking for one small town, and it's secluded. It's in the middle of the forest, and that makes it. I, I'm I'm fascinated by that because we have a lot of communities like this in Sweden. Sweden is a very big country with a very small population, and uh, so a lot of the there are great distances. There are people living very, very far from everything. And these small communities fascinate me because they're, you have to trust, if you live in the middle of the forest and a storm is coming, then you have to trust your neighbor. You have to have a strong community. You have to have, because you're dependent on each other. And it's a little bit, I think a little of that fascination also comes from my, um, my wife being an immigrant and a refugee from Iran. Um, oh. she, came, she came to Sweden when she was five and she came during the war and, um, and right after the revolution. And it's this country where she grew up, where, where, where they had, everything was there. And all of a sudden it's thrown into chaos, revolution wow. and a war in the, you know, in a matter of a few years, this whole country is thrown into absolute chaos and they leave. And, uh, and that, that sense of family that she has, um, my friends laugh because my, my, a lot of my friends are immigrants uh, from, from, I grew up with a lot of people from North Africa and uh, they laugh now because they said, well, you're the most Middle Eastern of all of us now. (laughs) (laughs) She moved everyone she moved her dad into our apartment building, and then she moved my parents into the apartment building. So we all live in the oh, same apartment wow. building. Oh, awesome! Um, and if she could, you know, it's up to her. Everyone would live there, <laughs> like all of our all of our family. But she has this incredibly tight sense of of family and what family is, and Thanks. sticking together. And she imposes that on our kids. Um. Um. She's the best thing that ever happened to my parents because they they get to live this close to the grandkids <laughs> now. Everyone's dream. And, uh, and I was just, I was not that. I was never that. I mean, I don't mind my family, but I would never. It would never have occurred to me to live in the same apartment building as them. But she, that was so important for yeah. her, and that comes from the sense that she has been in a war. Yeah. So she knows that when. You know, when when everything crumbles around you, when when everything is chaos, family is everything. Yeah. Family is the only thing you've got because they're the ones that will not leave you behind. They're the ones that will get you out. They're, they're the ones that you stick to. They're, they're the, you know, that sense yeah. of having a tribe. That's so strong in her, and uh, I think that really colored the way that I wrote Bear Town. That there, that's the way that they view their community. That's that. the way that they, and they have this sense of always being in a fight. The whole town is always in a fight. It's always the underdog. They're always underestimated. <laughs> so when I started the winners. Uh, it was a breakthrough for me, and when I understood that I, I'll start. 
ironically now, since you're in the situation that you are, but, but I started the winners with a storm. Right. Um, yep. Because I, because I made it, this is a town and a community where so many people are enemies, yeah. but they have to come together because there's a greater enemy coming. Yes. Because they're always in a fight, this town, with each other and with Head, the neighboring town, but, but they're also in a fight with nature. Yep. Uh, so when this storm comes and it's explained from the point of view in Head, where this family, where the father is a fireman and the mother is a midwife, and, uh, and there's this explanation of these two towns, they're in a war with nature. Yep. Always, like nature is constantly trying to destroy these towns. Yeah, constantly trying to force people out of the forest because nature doesn't want us there. Yeah, and uh, that sense, that feeling was. Um, uh, I I think that's where it all started. Wow, I think it's and it, uh, two things I want to say. Um, that storm was a perfect way to kind of put all the families in upheaval and have to reexamine who they were and what they were to each other. But also, now that I hear you talk about your wife and your family, yeah. that comes through so clearly in the book and uh, all the tightness of the families and the challenges. And yeah. at the end of the day, families, what's 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 what? So it was that's hugely successful. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about hockey because, of course, hockey is at the center of all of the books in the series. Um, what drew you to including hockey and tell the story and 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 um, put it into the winners too? It's uh, well, if I was more commercially conscious, then maybe I would have chosen a more global sport. Um, I think my agent at some point in the beginning said, "Maybe not promised on three books, Frederick. We'll see how this one goes." <laughs> Um, when I was writing Beartown and, uh, because I, I, I was selling a lot of books in countries where hockey doesn't exist. So, uh, so maybe if I had been more commercially <laughs> conscious, I would have chosen another sport, but, but I, I, it had to be hockey for me, partly because hockey is, um, it's a huge sport in Sweden. Um, it's the biggest sport together with football. And not your football, the rest of the world. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, we know that. <laughs> and uh, but uh, uh, it's it's hockey and, and soccer. Then it's it's the two biggest sports. And hockey is huge in the north of Sweden, and uh, and it's the the most successful teams comes from fairly small communities, yeah. fairly small cities, and uh, and it's this. Um, great sense of pride in these communities uh and also the fact that i wanted it it, it, it this story that i was going to tell i think i could have told it based on well there's this small town and there's a big company in the town who employs everyone uh and and kevin could have been the son of the ceo of the company and i could have constructed the the story in the same way around a company, but I wanted it to be a sports story and I wanted it to be, um, and it had to be hockey for me because hockey, it demands everything. Yeah. And, and I'm fascinated by that, that you have to be obsessed to play hockey. Yeah. You can't be somewhat interested in hockey and be successful at it. You just can't, yeah. you have to be. No, it's your life. It has to be, 
you know, and and all the way back to in Sweden, like I had a, I, I have my my uh, a par- the parent of uh, a friend of my kids told me that she she walked down to the hockey rink when her son was eight and said, uh, you know, he'd he'd like to try to play hockey. And the coach of the team looked at her and like, oh, well, it's too late to start now. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. And, uh, she, and she was she was baffled. She said, yeah. what? She said, you might find like a smaller team if you go outside the city or something. But, but you know, it's too late to start wow. now. These kids, they've been skating since they were four. Yeah. And, um, and it's this sense that you have to give it your everything. It, it demands so much. And it's also the fact that I'm I'm fascinated by how difficult it is to play hockey. Yeah. Like how, how physically demanding it is. Uh, how incredibly difficult it is to be that good of, an, yes. of a skater. And also have the, 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 the sense of the stick in the puck and... and, and uh, and the muscular sense of shooting, the technique, yeah. the balance, the coordination, it takes so much. It's such an incredibly difficult sport yeah. and, and, um, and stupid in, in the way it's composed. Like who thought, <laughs> who, 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 who came up with this? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's incredibly weird to think about how someone actually came up because there's nothing intuitive about it. No. Like if you watch watch soccer, it's intuitive. If a ball comes rolling it down the street, you'll kick it. It's intuitive. Everyone gets it. But, but hockey, someone had to think about that for a very long time to come up with that. And, and just, you know, how do you explain this to someone who hasn't watched it? Yes. It's, it's very, very weird, but um, and I was fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by how hard it is, how difficult it is, how demanding it is. And I'm also fascinated by the fact that if your kid plays hockey, you're a hockey family. Yes. And I don't find that with all sports. No. Um, like my kids have done a lot of activities. Um, they played soccer and my daughter played, my daughter's played everything. She's like me. And, and she's, you know, she's, she played soccer. She played basketball. She she now she go she climbs. Uh, she she does um, I don't know the indoor climbing on the you know you climb yeah. the wall. We don't call ourselves a climbing. Right. <laughs> no hockey. Uh, it really it just it every, just pulls you in. Every, yeah. yeah. But every every parent I know yep. who has a kid who plays hockey refers to themselves as a hockey. Yep. Because it takes everything for the whole family. It does. Uh, and it becomes an identity. There's a lot of gear you have to yeah. drive around. Uh, I mean, people people will tell you, like, they they get a new car and they say, well, we needed a bigger car because of, you know, because of yeah. the kids and their hockey yeah. gear. Like, you, that's how far you adapt as a family. Yes. You're, you're buying a different car because of, the sport that yes. your kid plays. And, um, and I was fascinated by that. And I feel I'm, I'm always interested in people who are obsessed with things. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, 
if you have something in your life that you are a little too interested in, I'm interested. <laughs> But I'll say hockey really is the right uh, sport to yeah. focus on here. I mean, there's so many, so many things about it. It can make you, it can break you. It can actually, and especially in the book, it can elevate your standing in a community or, yeah. or ruin your reputation. So it, it's really, everything is all about it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And Frederick, I've got to tell you, my, my husband's cousin plays in the NHL and just the, our entire family. I mean, we, we don't have to transport him back and forth, but our entire family has become a hockey family because of that. I mean, you, yep. you, you do, you just fall into it and, and get obsessed. You're absolutely right. Um, switching tracks a little bit, there are a few different father daughter relationships in this book and you yourself have written, I believe a nonfiction book about the challenges of parenthood. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy on parenting and how that finds its way into the pages of the winners? Well, my philosophy on parenting is that I'm just trying to not mess it up too bad. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the most the most common thing that I have discussions with, with my kids about when we have a serious discussion, when we have a fight or we've had a fight and we're trying to make up or, or um, that, that's the, the most common thing that I sit down with them and I tell them like, I know I'm, I know I'm messing this up. Um, but I just want you to know that I'm really trying here. Like you have to see that I'm trying. You have to see that I'm, I'm doing everything I can to 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 be a good dad and yeah. try to give you the things that you need. And and a part of that is not being your best friend. A part of that is trying to yeah. raise you and trying to teach you manners and morals and and um, boundaries and uh, how to behave. And uh, so part of that is fighting with you. A part of me trying to be a good dad is fighting with you and, and putting up boundaries for you and uh you know having expectations at you without applying pressure yeah like believing in you without suffocating you yeah. and um trying to give you all the possibilities yeah. possibilities that that you you i mean that's all you do you you try to you have 18 19 20 years of their life and and at the age of 20 you want them to have as many possibilities as as you as they possibly can yeah. so that the choices are as many as possible yes and then they can go from there but it's uh But it's impossible. It's it's impossible to be a good parent. I I I, I constantly uh, have this discussion with my wife a lot, where she says, "Frederick, whenever people talk about themselves as great parents, I feel you're not paying attention. Ah. Like if if you if you walk around thinking I'm a great parent, yep. you're not paying attention. Yeah, that's... because it's impossible. It's impossible yes. to do. It. You're right. You know, I, I have that 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 thing, and also this feeling that I've always had that I'm very badly suited for parenting. Um, and I tell my kids that a lot. I, I tell them that because they're nine and twelve now, we can have serious discussions, and they, you know, we're at the point now where I can tell my daughter she's nine. Yeah. She's a lot like me. We're very similar. Uh, my son is a lot more like his mom. Yeah. So when me and my daughter fight, we fight, you know, we fight worse because we're the same. 
uh, so everyone else just leaves the room and you know <laughs> fight in the car uh, like I have to stop the car because we're fighting so much but 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 we also have this sense of incredible uh, emotional attachment yeah. and we can have that discussion where she says you know once in a while I'll say something and she's like yeah, have you thought about the fact that I'm like you? I'm also <laughs> sensitive. Uh, and she can point things out to me that I'm like, well, we're very, very sensitive sensitive creatures, she and I. And uh, we have the, those fights now, but we also have that those discussions where, where I'll tell her that, you know, I'm very badly suited for this, honey, because I live in my head. Yeah. I, I spend eight hours a day with people who don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm in an in imaginary universe all the time. I try to escape reality. My instinct is always to escape reality. Uh, and your mother's instinct is all, always to stay in reality because she likes reality. <laughs> she likes, she likes, you know, she likes talking to the neighbors. She yeah. likes going outside. And, and meeting human beings, she gets she she gets energy from that. Yeah. I lose energy from that, and um, so we have that discussion a lot. And of course, a lot of that filters into the way I tell stories, and that's why in Bear Town, people keep coming back and asking me like, "What characters meant the most to you? What characters do you relate the most to?" And 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 I say, well, it, for me, the center of the story was always Peter and and Kira. Um, and the story is not about them. They're not the main characters, but the center of the story, the mm -hmm. balance for me of that is from that family. And, and now with, in the winners with, with, um, with the family in hand, uh, the fireman and the midwife, it's the same thing. It's, uh, that's the center of the story for me because they're these parents, they, they're trying to hold their marriage together. Yeah. They're trying to, they're trying to just get everyone they love through the day somewhat okay. Yeah. Uh, just trying to, you know, they're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Um, and just trying to balancing everything and just trying to be good enough. And I always had that sense that they're not, they've given up on being perfect parents. They're just trying to be okay. Yeah. 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 I came across it that they're just really trying to hang on. Yes. Um, so I want to ask a question about the structure of the book. I want to put a disclaimer out there. If anybody's daunted by the number of pages in the book, don't be. Because I sat back and I felt like a narrator was telling me this saga and this tale of everything. And I was drawn in and it included foreshadowing and um, just and, and every, what everybody's thoughts were. And the people that you think are good, maybe not so good. Or people you think are bad might be good. Um, but, but you really dug into the characters. And it's just like the best storytellers telling us a tale. Why did you choose to tell the story that way? Uh, with the narrative voice? Yes. I always do that. I don't know. I, I've tried not to do it. Um, I think in, in Sweden, it's a little frowned upon. Uh, in Scandinavia, the, the critics are, they, they call it the all-knowing narrator voice. <laughs> and uh, it's a little frowned upon. It's not. Uh, and it's also this, this thing where, I think in Swedish, 
in Swedish modern literature, I mean, all the, all, all the things that I come from, all the writers that I grew up with, they were great storytellers. And I think that comes across a lot in my writing. Uh, and I think that's why Swedish, a lot of Swedish authors are successful abroad. It's because we come from a storytelling tradition. I love uh, that. Uh, and all of our stories, and if you look at the Swedish classics, you go back to that. Uh, Astrid Lindgren, Selma Lagerlöf, Wilhelm Moberg, Ingmar Bergman. Um, um, you go back to that. You go back to classic Swedish cinema. You go back to classic Swedish literature. Yes. All very, very strong storytelling. It's all very st- strong storytelling, strong characters. The characters are multifaceted, they're based in reality, they're based in, in emotion. And there's always a, an emotional response that drives the story forward. And uh, it's very classical storytelling, uh, very recognizable features. It's easy for a lot of people to feel a relationship to. And I come from that, that way of storytelling. And um and I think it was natural to me to always tell with a narrative voice because that's how you tell a fairy tale. Ah, and I always yes. wanted. And I think I'm. I was fairy tales was my first connection to literature. It's still my favorite piece of literature. It's still, uh, and I wanted. I never wanted to be an author. I I never wanted to write novels. That was never my intention. I wanted to be a storyteller. Uh, And I I think I could have stumbled onto something else. I I think I, you know, it could have been movies. It could have been, it could have been, I think if I, if I was 25 now, I, you know, I would have had a podcast. I would have done something else. I mean, I, I wanted to be a storyteller and I, I, I looked for the mediums available to me. And um, that's how I came into writing. But I never wanted to be an author. I never wanted to be like a great novelist. That was never my intention. I don't view myself as a great author. I, I keep saying that, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with language. I'm struggling with, with, you know, all of this, these things that you're supposed to know as a writer, where to put the, you know where to put the 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 commas <laughs> and the hyphens and whatnot. It's uh, I struggle with that. I still struggle with that. But 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 my strength is storytelling. My strength is that I uh, when I was uh, when I was growing up. When I think when I people ask me like when would when did you understand that you were a storyteller then. Well, I, when I was growing up, I still have the same, my three best friends are the same friends I had when I was 15. Uh, they're still my best friends. They're still the only one who gets me except for my wife. And and uh, at some point during, you know, when we were teenagers, we would sit and, and we would, you know, someone new came into the group and, you know, and there was a story from our past that we wanted to tell, you know, it's like that time when we were at that place and this yeah. and this and this happened and someone would start telling the story and then would, they would turn to me and said, you tell it, you tell it better. Oh, wow. And then I got to tell it because I, 
I knew where to start the story. I knew where yeah. to end the story. I knew where the joke was. I knew where the funny part was. I knew how to phrase it yeah. so that, and that came naturally to me. And that's when I realized, like, I was I was appointed the storyteller of the group. And that's where probably when things started for me. And the narrative voice is because I still wanted to be that. I still wanted to be me sitting at a table with my best friends we're having a beer and I'll tell them, do you want to hear a story? Um, and I go like, sure. And I tell them a story and that's still, that's how I want my books to feel. And, and they, I mean, they do feel like that way. They, they feel, they, they feel that way in the most beautiful of ways. And I was thinking as you were saying that, that I, I'm glad that you didn't try, you didn't try to conform and learn the com. you know what I mean? Like learn all the things you were saying that perhaps you think maybe don't it don't make you as natural of a writer i think it is the things that come to you so naturally that you've developed over the course of your life that that make your books feel so unique and so immersive um and just so different i i just I, you know to be honest as a writer myself i feel like i i learn something about the craft every time i read one of your books you're just um you're just doing it so well so it, yeah no it, it, it they mean a lot to me um I unfortunately am going to have to go in a second. And I think Ron might have to finish up without me. I can hear it getting bad outside. And, and I know it's gotten bad because our neighbor um, has already texted us asking for ice for margaritas. So like if the emergency you margaritas are already coming out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just get the text. Yeah. So um, it, let me ask you one more question and then please don't sure. be insulted when I vanish. Cause it's that I actually have Absolutely to evacuate not. to a hotel um, right now. I'm amazed that you're still, still, <laughs> But you're still sitting here doing the interview. Well, She's committed. She's totally I, I, committed. To be honest, I really, I really wanted to talk to you. I, I, like I said, I respect you quite a lot as a writer, and and I'm so glad I stayed. This has been so wonderful. Um, let me ask you this though. I, I mentioned earlier that I absolutely adored Anxious People, which came out here in the states in 2020. I thought it was one of the most inventive, cleverly constructed novels I've read in a while, uh, in years. And of course, the book is about a failed bank robber who takes a bunch of hostages at an open house, which is just such an awesome premise. I, you know, I love everything about this book from top to bottom. But what I wanted to ask you about was that I read an interview with you when that book came out where you said, I'm a pretty anxious person. That's one of the basic traits needed to become a writer. And that really resonated with me because, um, I feel like I am consistently fueled by anxiety. Um, I think that's one of the things that fuels me as a writer too. Can you talk a little bit about how anxiety fuels you and is a part of you as a writer? Well, I think, I think what I try to tell, I have this discussion a lot with young writers who, who, because I am now, I am now at the age where I'm an old writer <laughs> or I'm two young writers and they feel like, they they can come they can go to me for advice and i keep telling them that i don't think that anything that you love that has moved you that has really resonated with you or meant something to you art literature music i don't think there's ever been anything that has moved you or that you have loved that was created by some someone who thought highly of themselves. Yes, so true. Uh, I, I, I just don't. Like all of the writers that I adore and love, when I have met them, they all struggle with insecurities. They all struggle with anxiety. They all struggle with that feeling of not being good enough. 
And most of the time, that's why they're still writing, uh, because you're chasing something. And that anxiety is, well, that's why you write. That's why you, because you're trying to make it all make sense. And the way that I make things make sense to me is I write them down. I need to see them in writing. That's how I, you know, it's, it's that it's that quote from the poet in the West Wing, the old TV show by Aaron Sorkin, yeah. that that the poet who 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 turns to Toby and says, uh, "I'm a poet. That's how I enter the world." Yeah, and that resonated a lot with me because I felt like, yeah, you have a thing, and that's how you enter the world. Yes, and to some people, that's. Um, you have a way to express yourself. And if you find a way to express yourself yeah. that resonates with other people, then that's that's how you enter the world. And to some people, that's playing an instrument. And I talk a lot about that with musicians, uh, that, that feeling that if you play the cello yeah. and you're having one of those great nights where everything just clicks and you're playing the cello and you look up and you see someone in the front row yeah. immersed in your music, then you know that now you're feeling what I'm feeling. That's yeah. an extension cord. At this moment, yes. I can make you feel what I feel. And uh, you can have that when I'm, I'm incredibly interested in chefs, like, like Michelin star chefs. Because mm-hmm. I have this... you. You spent your whole life making something, um, being this good at something, yeah. and you've you've created this incredible dish because you wanted to express something. You wanted us to know. You wanted to tell us something. Yeah. And when I eat it at that exact moment, you can look at me and you can see now you're feeling what I'm feeling. Yes. See. Yes. That that explosion of taste in your mouth. That. It's what I felt when I was trying to construct. I wanted you to have that feeling. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's what writing is to me. I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain myself. Yeah. A lot of the time I'm trying to explain myself to my wife. And I think that <laughs> comes from, you know, it's a long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. But I think that comes from the fact that when you're a kid, you figure out that this is where I feel like myself. Yeah. When I write, I feel like myself. It's the only time I feel like myself. It's the only time I feel like when I do this, you get me. But when you meet me, I'm not, there's a lot of things coming into play. Like the way I look, the way I talk, the way I sound. Yes. Um, There's a lot of things coming into play when you meet me. But when I write and I can just talk to you through words, then I feel like myself. Absolutely. So perfectly said. And that yeah. answer, that's the question I was trying to ask you earlier, but you just said it so, so much more eloquently because that's how I felt reading your, this book and your, all your other books. It's, it's taken me on a journey and I feel very connected to it. It's so relatable in a way. And um, just congratulations on it. Yeah. Thank you. So if, those of you who are listening or anything like me, you could listen to this conversation for days and days and days, but unfortunately we're going to have to end it here. Uh, Frederick, it's been so great having you. Um, before you go, can you tell us where readers can find out more about you and your work online and, and, and maybe some of your upcoming events? 
Well, my American publishers, they created a website for me called frederikpackmanbooks.com. One word, frederikpackmanbooks. So I think you can go in there and look at under the events. You can see the tour schedule. Great. Um, you can see all of the books, all of the... And uh, my wife is constructing... She's fixing my website now because my website crashed for reasons unknown to me. And uh, she's trying to sort that out. Uh, so I'm trying to get... And that's at frederikbackman.com, but it, it's not working right now. So com is the one that's up. And yeah, I'm on a tour now for... 10, 11 days, I think, uh, U.S. and Canada. And then I, uh, I'll i go home and I'll write. There you come. Well, we can't wait to hear, see what's next. That's for sure. Um, and you, I know you have fans everywhere, so people are going to show up in droves. And the winners is really a winner. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And all of you out there, we hope that you are inspired to pick up the winners. And this book, along with all of our past guest books, are available at the friendsandfictionbookshop.org page. It's a great way to save a little money and support indie booksellers. Thanks again to Frederick, and thanks to all of you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast. If you're enjoying our conversations, please tell a friend. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.